I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern-day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. Today I want to talk a little bit about God's time. Now I know many of you probably get tired of hearing me talk about God's time. I talk about time all the time, but I believe time is important. God went to great lengths to establish time and how time is measured. Why? Well, I suspect that time is important to God. Each of us only has so much time in this life, and it's how we steward that time that will determine the quality of life that we enjoy during this life. The difficult part to discern with wisdom is how one defines quality of life. For some, quality of life may mean the acquisition of money and possessions, a saying that has become popular in the last few decades, especially among men, is the one with the most toys at the end wins. That's the measurement by which they measure their quality of life. Their life is defined by money and possessions. Therefore, they spend the majority of their lives chasing money so they can acquire possessions. Just a side note here. One cannot serve mammon and God. Mammon being money, possessions and power. For others, the quality of life is measured by how much time they can spend participating in preferred activities. Most of those preferred activities cost money. Therefore, they spend the majority of their lives chasing money so that they can spend the rest of their time spending that money to participate in those activities. Examples of such reaches into the activities of hobbies, pastimes, collecting, sporting events, hunting, fishing, golf, woodworking, and so forth. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a hobby or having a favorite pastime. I work with wood as a hobby, and one of my absolute favorite things to do as a pastime is to read. But here is another side note. Such things can become false gods that one worships. I cannot tell you the number of marriages that I have seen fall apart because of a hobby that got out of hand. That, my friends, is a false god. Quality of life to me is living peacefully with my family, with food on the table, clothes on our backs, and a roof over my head. Quality of life to me means living in a way that allows me to be comfortable in my own skin without the need of approval from another man or still be able to look at myself in the mirror. Quality of life to me is having extra so that I can help others to some extent when I see a genuine need. Quality of life, to me, is living within the peace of God that goes beyond understanding. No matter what circumstances I may be facing, or what situations I'm confronted with, that's how I currently steward the time that I have left on this earth. Why is that? Because I believe time is important. After all, like I said, God went to great lengths to establish time in His creation. I only have so much time left. It's safe to say that I have less time ahead of me than I have behind me. So I choose to make the most of that time. And how do I do that? I delve into God's Word and read. Remember, 
I said that reading was one of my favorite pastimes. I've always been a reader. My parents didn't have much education, and they sacrificed greatly so that I could have an education. Dad had a brother-in-law whose sister was an elementary school teacher, and she would get discarded books from the school libraries and bring them to Mom and Dad, and they would read to me. I learned to read at a very early age. By the time I started kindergarten, I was reading newspapers. But I delve into God's Word, and I identify His calendar or His time. I identify his seasons within his calendar. Then I learned how God has worked within the seasons and months historically of his calendar or his time. I simply apply that within my life, and I must say that the quality of my life has improved tremendously. So where are we now? Well, as of the publishing of this episode, we are in the third day of Adar. Adar 1. Adar 1. Am I implying that there is another month, Adar 2? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. This year on the Jewish civil calendar, there are 13 months. The last two months being Adar 1 and Adar 2. Are you confused yet? Hold on and listen closely. If you blink an eye or sip a coffee, you may become even more confused. However, it's something worth being aware of and understanding since it has to do with God's time. It is important to know that God's time is recorded in the Bible. It's equally important to know that there are events within God's calendar that occupy or occur precisely on the same date every year on God's calendar. However, those dates are not the same on the Gregorian calendar that most of the world adheres to currently. Why is that? Well, the answer to that question is actually very simple. Since the sons of Israel were brought out of Egypt, under the leadership of Moses. God established his calendar. You can find that in Exodus chapter 12. God's calendar is a lunar calendar and is dictated by the phases of the moon. Every new moon ushers out the current month and a new month begins, always. At mid-month, around the 14th or 15th day of the month, there is a full moon marking the middle of the month and the month comes to completion at the new moon again. The shofar is sounded at the new moon and the full moon each and every month. Why? Because the sounding of the shofar marks and records that this time has come and passed. It is the recording of the event of the beginning of each month and the middle of the month. When God created time, space, and matter, from what I read in the Bible, I conclude that God set a stopwatch in motion, so to speak. There's only so much time left on the clock. It's like sporting event. When time runs out, it's game over. The sounding of the trumpet marks and records those events when one measure of time ends and the next begins. Now here's where things get hinky. How do we get 13 months in one year? Well, it really is very simple, but it's a difficult concept to grasp. As I've mentioned, God's calendar is a lunar calendar. The Romans that ruled over Israel and adhered to the Julian calendar, established by Julius Caesar in January 1st, 45 B.C. The Julian calendar was a solar calendar with 365 days each year with a leap year every fourth year without exception. The Gregorian calendar, which was 
established at Pope Gregory the Thirteenth in 1582, replaced the Julian calendar. The Gregorian calendar is also a solar calendar of 365 days. So what's the difference between the Julian calendar and the Gregorian calendar? Hold on. It gets hinky. The Gregorian calendar adopted a leap year every fourth year except when the year is divisible by 100 and not divisible by 400. If that be the case, leap year is skipped during its normal fourth year rotation in that instance. What it all boils down to is that the Julian calendar was off course by 11 minutes each year. So from January 45 B.C. until October 1582, approximately 12 and a half days were lost. The mathematics get deep. Are you confused yet? Hold on, it gets better. Let's go back to the Jewish civil calendar and God's calendar. Notice that I separate the two calendars. I mentioned the Jewish civil calendar and I mentioned God's calendar. Both are lunar calendars, and both have the exact same dates, feasts, holidays, days of observances. So what's the difference? Why separate the two? Well, that too is very simple, but it's a difficult concept to grasp for some. From that point forward, the months were determined by observation of the moon's faces by the priests. When the priests observed the new moon, fires were lit on the top of hills throughout the land to notify the inhabitants that a new month had begun. That tells me that keeping track of God's time was an important endeavor. However, over time, the Assyrians caught on to this, and to disrupt Israel's keeping or stewarding of time began to sneak into the land and set fires to confuse the people of the land in regarding to knowing the time. That tells me that keeping time in the ancient days was a very big deal. If you can disrupt the enemy's stewardship of time, you could at that time, have an impact upon their economy. The thing that has to be taken into consideration is that the moon circumnavigates the earth every 27.3 days. Therein, the length of months on God's calendar and Jewish civil calendar are usually 28 to 29 days. Normally, that would conclude a year in approximately 342 days. But when you do this, the season of the year shifts. If time is not allotted by a leap day or leap year, as it is in the Gregorian calendar, how do the Jews account for that time? They have a leap month, Adar 2, to adjust time so that seasons remain constant. In other words, Passover remains in spring. The second harvest remains at Pentecost. The Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Booths remain at the time of the fall harvests. How do they do that? How can it remain accurate? Well, as I said, it remained accurate because the priests were diligent in their observations. The sons of Israel and later the Jews were dedicated with keeping track of time, although they slacked off from time to time and turned away from God. But there was a man in the second century by the name of Hillel II. Now this old boy was kind of smart in the ways of mathematics, and he calculated the times of the moon phases and came up that the calendar repeats itself approximately every 19 years, give or take a few seconds. This was welcome news because now God's calendar could be calculated with repeatable results and the need for observation was not so paramount. 
The computations that Hillel II came up with are by far too complex for me to go into any degree of during this episode. I can't and I won't. Besides, I doubt that my abilities to convey such mathematical concepts would be accurate anyway. I love God's Word and the history of God's Word. Mathematics, not so much. But there's another old boy during the 12th century called Mammoniades. Ever heard of him? Well, Mammoniades was a pretty sharp fellow, too. He took the mathematical concepts developed by Hillel II and the genealogies of the Bible and calculated backwards to the day of creation. Have you ever wondered how the Jews arrived at the current year 5784? Well, according to the calculations of Mammoniades, the earth was created 5,784 years ago on what would have been the first day of Tishri, the seventh month, which is now called Rosh Hoshana. Now, many of you will say that's preposterous. Many of you will say the earth is millions of billions of years old. Science has proven that. Has it? May I inform you that carbon-14 dating is based on calculations, and three of the elements necessary to make those calculations are educated guesses at best. I won't go into that at this time. I believe the Bible proves science. Science does not prove or disprove the Bible. Scientifically, there are elements that are not fully understood and are, in fact, conjecture. And that conjecture is usually accepted without the possibility of a supreme being included in the equation. Now, just a side note about Mammoniades. Mammoniades not only calculated the date of creation, he also enumerated the 613 laws of God in the Bible. That is why the tzitzit, the tassels on the four corners of a prayer shawl, contain 613 knots to remind the people of God's law. That's why the wrappings between the knots are a certain number. Each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is assigned a number, and each number of wrappings between the knots on the tzitzit, or the tassels, spells out the name of God. They represent the four cords that would hold a tent secure. God is the corner stakes that holds the tent secure. One does not allow the tzitzit, or the tassels, to prayer shawl to drag along on the ground. It's akin to dragging God's name in the dirt. To provide evidence for what I'm telling you, consider that the Hebrew word for the shawl is talit. Talit in Hebrew means little tent. Not all the sons of Israel could be taken into the tent of meeting. So God designed and commissioned a little tent for each individual to wear so that every individual would have a little tent or meeting place in which to meet God. I think of it as the original prayer closet. As for the age of the earth, believe what you will, so be it. But before I leave this issue, consider that one of the most brilliant minds in astrophysics, Stephen Hawking, was an atheist. He had a brilliant mind and was confined to a wheelchair as a physical invalid. Towards the ends of his life, Hawking gave up the Big Bang Theory that suggested the earth and the universe were created by the explosion of a particle of matter. Hawking's final conclusion, his final conclusion was the universe has always existed since the beginning of time because it had to. 
Now that's a profound scientific explanation of how the heavens and the earth were created, if I ever heard one. Now as I've mentioned earlier, this year there are 13 months on the Jewish calendar, or on God's calendar. Last two months being Adar and Adar 2. Here's the difference between God's calendar and the Gregorian calendar. Usually Easter, a religious holiday established by the Roman Emperor Constantine, occurs just after Passover. Passover is always the 14th day of the first month, Nisan. Always. However, Constantine did not take Passover into consideration when he established Easter. No, the criteria for Easter, which was supposed to be a celebration of resurrection, was to be the first Sunday at the divernal equinox in the spring. So saith Constantine. This year, 2024, Easter, by the Edict of Constantine, falls on March 31st. Passover, the 14th day of the first month of Nisan, does not fall until April 22nd. How then can Christians celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as some call it, when the date of Passover, the date of Christ's death, has not yet passed? They can't. Well, I guess they can, but it's not biblical. Why does Passover come so late in the year this year? Because Adar and Adar too must come first to account for time that allows for the seasons to remain intact. Notice I said so that seasons will remain intact. Now, Leviticus chapter 26 verses 3 and 4. Read, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you the rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Keeping track of the seasons in proper time was paramount in their survival. You see, science tracks time in terms of absolutes. And I have to wonder if God is concerned with absolutes. Time in modern times is dictated by the Earth's circumnavigation of the sun. But God established his time by the moon's circumnavigation of the Earth. In modern times, the new day begins at midnight. In ancient times, God's time, the new day begins at nightfall. Should I choose man's way or God's way? Hmm. I choose God's way. Now, of course, I operate on the timetable established by man or I'd be late for work every day. But I observe God's time and how he established his time. I believe that it's important. If it were not important, God would not have established his time in the manner that he has. You know, I said I wonder if God is concerned with absolutes in his time. I believe that he is. I believe that God set the length of a day, the week, the month, and the years in precise increments. It is that man has had a difficult time understanding and measuring God's time according to the moon's phases and turn to the sun for what is considered greater accuracy and precision. But is it greater accuracy and precision? What if it is? What if it is not? Now some say that the necessity of a leap month, a thirteenth month every so often, is proof that the ecclesiastical and Jewish civil calendars are flawed. Well, I could say that the addition of a day in February every fourth year, except when the year is divisible by 100 but not by 400, is equally flawed. The vernal equinox does not occur on the same day on the Gregorian calendar from year to year, and the date of Easter fluctuates accordingly. 
You see, time is exceedingly interesting to me. I look into God's Word and see how time has transpired over the ages. I identify and recognize the blocks of time and the seasons that God has established. I love seeing how God has worked within these blocks of time or these seasons. Here's the caveat. God works differently in the same season throughout the seasons throughout the Bible. I hope you caught that. Now that seems like a contradictory statement, but it's not. You see, there are reasons in which God worked wonders and offered correction, sometimes harsh correction. There are a few seasons that God did magnificent things, and in the same season in which God allowed consequences of dire proportions to manifest. However, there is one element that determined how God would act in any given season. Now, what might that element be? It was the element of obedience or disobedience in God's people. Okay, I hear crickets. Very few want to talk about or hear about obedience, but you need to hear it. Now, I'll admit that I do not fully understand all the mathematical computations necessary to arrive at the necessity of 13 months in a year. I'll admit that I do not understand all that I believe can be understood in regard to God's time. I will tell you, I believe God knows his time, and I believe that it is important that we try to understand his time to the best of our finite abilities. Some say it's simply too much to keep track of. Some say the Gregorian calendar is so much easier to contend with. I agree. It is easier. I also agree that it's easier to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior while continuing to lead a sinful lifestyle intentionally and claim that it's okay under grace. But simply because it is claimed does not make it so. Just because something is difficult does not mean it can't be done or that it shouldn't be done. I'll dance with 13 months in a year. It's certainly not going to hurt me, Annie. I don't figure it'll hurt you either. But I do know this. The trumpet sounds at the beginning of every month at mid-month for the full moon and during God's feasts. That is a marking and recording events in time on God's calendar with precise time allowed or aligned with God's will. There are only going to be a certain number of shofar soundings left in time as we perceive time. Each time the trumpet sounds to record an event on God's timeline brings us one step closer to the return of our Lord. I don't know about you, but that excites me. I get downright giddy with the new moon and full moon approaches and I prepare to sound the trumpet. Gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. The clock on God's timepiece is ticking. That is a fact whether you choose to believe it or not. Celebrate Easter if you will. This year the resurrection date will not come to pass until some 25 days afterwards. By the way, the true date of Pentecost will shift as well. Think about that for a moment. The church recognizes Pentecost 50 days after Easter. That's incorrect. It's 50 days after Passover. God's time is time that we should all be more aware of. God's time is not necessarily our time. It's all his time. I am the old watchman Ezekiel. And you have been warned.
Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please, come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.